Okay, well, one of our main themes of the passage we're going to be looking at today is the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul. And like I said, today it's a continuation of Paul's introduction to the church in Rome. So Paul, he's introducing himself to these people, most of which he has never met before. And he's writing to this church in Rome in order to knit together both Jews and Gentiles in the church in unity under Christ. Like I said, he's writing to people for the most part he's never met. And so what he does over the course of the first few verses is peel back the curtain a little bit on his own heart and life and ministry. Now, when it comes to the life and ministry of Paul, nobody argues the impact of Paul's ministry in the world. Okay, Paul is the apostolic goat, the greatest of all time. My wife asked me this week, what what do you mean goat? (laughs) Greatest of all time, honey. I think that's obvious. Now, nobody, nobody argues that, that Paul is like the church-planting goat, the evangelistic goat. There is probably nothing that Paul couldn't do. You know, if you had plumbing problems in your house, you'd probably call Paul, and he'd be able to fix it. And so when we come to a text that gives us just like a peek behind the curtains of Paul's ministry, I think oftentimes what we can do is this. We allow Paul's writing to have what I would call the Michael Jordan effect, Okay? The Michael Jordan effect. Now, in case you don't know who Michael Jordan is, this guy is Michael Jordan. <laughs> Actually, no, I'm sorry, that's a picture of me. Um, do you want to go to MJ? No, okay. Now, the Michael Jordan effect, here's the deal. Michael Jordan, in case you don't know, is the greatest basketball player of all time. Six NBA titles, uh, six NBA finals MVPs, five regular season MVPs. He is the basketball goat. Now, imagine for a second, though, that there was a documentary that took you behind the scenes to see a glimpse into the basketball life of Michael Jordan. All of us could probably find that quite interesting, compelling even. Maybe even inspiring. I mean, you think about, like, greatness is just compelling. It is. So you peel behind the curtains of Michael Jordan. It is going to be compelling. But for 95% of us, that's all it's going to be. It's going to be very interesting, very compelling. But 95% of us are not basketball players. So we might think, hey, that's really cool. But it's not all that personally helpful. It doesn't strike a real personal chord because Michael Jordan's doing something or trying to do something that I am not gifted at or trying to do. But then there's like the 5% of us who are basketball players and seeing behind the scenes of Michael Jordan, it strikes a very personal chord. You know, for those who are basketball players, a documentary on Michael Jordan, that was probably what you feasted on as a child. It's, it's not just compelling, it's convicting. It's showing you like a pathway to where you ultimately want to be. Because he's doing what you're trying to do, he just does it way better. You know, one of my favorite quotes of all time, I don't even remember who it was. It was like the coach of like the North Dakota Technical School of the Mines or something like that. They were playing KU in basketball, okay? So KU, massive powerhouse in basketball. And they interviewed this guy, North Dakota Technical School of the Mines coach. They're like, hey, you know, what, do you, what did you tell your players coming up against KU? And he's like, hey, I told them they put their pants on just like we do, one leg at a time. Except when their pants are on, they win national championships. <laughs> 
See, if you're a basketball player, MJ is trying to do what you are trying to do. He just does it way better. When his pants are on, he wins NBA titles. But a documentary behind the scenes into MJ for a basketball player, it's like incredibly helpful, inspiring, convicting. But it might also leave you forgetting that basketball is a team sport. Okay? It might also leave you forgetting that John Paxson hit just as many game winners in the NBA Finals as MJ did. You want to know who John Paxson is? It's this guy. Nice mustache. Easily forgotten. Easily forgotten when you have a documentary about Michael Jordan and his greatness. So what's the point? Well, the point is this. If what we have in our passage in Romans 1 is like a behind-the-scenes documentary of Paul, the apostolic goat, the the greatest evangelist of all time, all of us are going to find that compelling because greatness is compelling. But for 95% of us, that's all it's going to be. Interesting, compelling. But 95% of us, we're not apostolically gifted evangelists. That's not what we are. That's not what we're trying to do. And for those who are... For that 5% or 1% or whatever it is that are apostolically gifted evangelists, we might find it incredibly helpful and personally convicting, but we also might be tempted to forget that ministry is a team sport or that Apollos baptized just as many as Paul did. But is that what we have here in our text in Romans chapter 1? Is this text a behind-the-scenes documentary of Paul, the apostolic goat, the greatest evangelist of all time. And before we even get into the text this morning, the first thing we need to recognize is no. This is just a glimpse behind the scenes of Paul, the ordinary Christian. More than anything, this introduction to the Romans It just gives us a glimpse into Paul's heart as an ordinary Christian. As a Christ follower, just like you and me. This isn't really looking at his apostolic ministry as much as it is his ordinary ministry. And as we see Paul, the ordinary Christian, we're going to see three aspects of his ordinary ministry. The ministry of prayer, the ministry of partnership in the ministry of proclamation. What we're seeing today is Paul the ordinary Christian. And his ordinary ministry consists of the ministry of prayer, the ministry of partnership, and the ministry of proclamation. And the very first thing we come across in Paul's ordinary ministry, which is almost always the first thing we come across with Paul, is the ministry of prayer. The ministry of prayer. I want you to notice the leading edge of Paul's ministry is prayer. You see this in all of Paul's writings. This is what Paul says in Romans 1 verse 8. First. So just right out of the gates here. First of all, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Because the news of your faith is being reported in all the world. 
God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in telling the good news about his son that I constantly mention you, always asking in my prayers that if it's somehow in God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. He says, I'm I'm thankful for you in prayer before my God, and I'm always asking God that I would have the opportunity to come to you. Now, I, I think it's a remarkable thing that many in Rome had come to faith in Christ. Because if you think about Rome, it's probably not the place that you would imagine the gospel to be penetrating. Uh, you think about their view of Caesar and, and, and just the way that the deity of Caesar would have been so deeply embedded in their culture. There's all kinds of sexual immorality deeply embedded in their culture. Even just, I was thinking this week about the, the temptation towards intellectual pride that I imagine existed just embedded deeply into their culture. I think there would have been a lot of reasons for those in Rome to be resistant to the gospel. And yet the gospel had taken root in Rome, in the church. And Paul really desired to visit them there, to do ministry there. And he lets them know, hey, I have not yet been able to come to you, but I am praying for you and I am thankful for you. And I desire to come And do ministry among you. But notice what Paul says in his opening statement. He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Paul, who's never met these people or many of them. He says, I I just I'm so thankful for you. You love Jesus. I love Jesus. You love me. I love you. I am so thankful for you. The leading edge of Paul's ministry is the ministry of thankfulness in prayer. And it's something that all of us need to embrace. What you see when you peer into this window of Paul's heart, Paul, the ordinary Christian, is that his heart is full of thankfulness towards people. You see that all the time in Paul's writings, don't you? It's like all over his writings. Thankfulness in prayer for people. Because he understands. They're Christians. They love Jesus. So they love me. And I love Jesus. And I love them. And I am thankful. You know, Paul, he could have had a million different thoughts about these people. Paul really could have had a million different thoughts about these people. You think there wasn't opportunity for Paul to harbor bitterness and negative thoughts about these people in Rome? There's all kinds of opportunity for that. You see, yeah, Paul, he hadn't visited the church in Rome But they hadn't made any effort to come see him. There were all kinds of churches that were supporting Paul and his ministry at this point. They weren't one of them. They were not supporting Paul. Not yet. And he could have thought, you guys have made no effort to visit me. You haven't supported me. When is the last time you picked up a phone call or picked up a phone and called me? Never. You don't love me. 
You don't care about me. You don't notice me. You don't understand all the hard things that I've gone through. I was in jail. Where were you, Romans? I was beaten. Where were you, Romans? I'm struggling out here. I'm working hard. Don't you notice? I am working so hard. And you've made no effort to love me. You don't love me. You don't care. Paul could have thought that so easily about the church in Rome and felt totally justified in it. Not only that, he could have found five other people who felt the same way about the Romans and affirmed in him how right he was. Paul had all of this space where he could have thought a million different things about these people, these fellow Christians. But do you see how he filled in the gaps in their relationship, in his own head, in his own heart? He filled it with thankful prayer. Here's where we have to make the connection and apply it into our own lives. Paul is teaching us what we all need to do with one another in our gaps. We need to fill in the gaps in our relationships with thankfulness in prayer. How many of you sat down with me for a cup of coffee or just extended one-on-one time this week. My wife. (laughs) It's a busy week, okay? How many of you sat down with me for like more than five hours in the past two, three weeks? Maybe even the last two, three months. Again, my wife, my dear, dear wife. And even if you have, like... I mean, there's 168 hours, if I'm doing my math right, in every single week. And what that means, and see, and and your relationships with one another, it's the same story, okay? It's the same story everywhere. What it means is that our relationships with one another, they have way more gap than they do time actually together. Meaningful time interacting with one another. The majority of your relationships with other human beings probably outside of your spouse and maybe your kids or your coworkers, is empty space. It is space in between. It's the gap in between one interaction and another. And our relationships with one another are going to be almost entirely determined by what we are doing to fill in those gaps, by what you are doing, what I am doing to fill in the gaps in my own head, and heart. Relationships are profoundly impacted by how we fill in the gaps. I would even say this. What you do and what I do in my own mind and in my own heart to fill in the gaps in my relationships, it matters way, way more for almost every one of my relationships than anything that you actually do or say. The health of my relationship with probably 99% of people in the church, 
outside of the church is far more dependent on just how I'm feeling in the space, the gaps in between our interactions. You know, I can't remember the last time that I sat down with somebody and they just like yelled at me or were intentionally mean towards me or anything like it or even close. But does that mean that every relationship in my life is healthy? Not necessarily. How are we filling in the gaps? And as we peek into the heart of Paul, what we see is we really need to be filling in the gaps with thankfulness in prayer. A deep-rooted belief anchored in prayer that I love Jesus and you love Jesus, therefore I love you and you love me, and we can be thankful for one another in prayer through Christ. That has to be the leading edge of our hearts in our relationships with one another. The problem, with, the problem in relationships, I would argue, is rarely a lack of time together. Sometimes we allow ourselves to believe that lie. But see, that's just life in a busy world. If that's going to be the problem, then we're all going to have unhealthy relationships everywhere with everyone. Last time I asked anybody, hey, how's it going lately? Like 95% of the time, people's response is, really busy, <laughs> really busy. Yes, that's life in a busy world. The problem in relationships is rarely a lack of time together. The real problem is what I'm doing with the space in between the time that we do get together. How am I filling the gaps with my own thoughts and heart towards people? And we need to fill in our gaps with one another. Thankfulness in prayer. The church ought to be the most gracious, kind, understanding place in the world. But if it's going to be that, it will be that based on how we all fill in the gaps towards one another. We need to be thankful in prayer. Thankful in prayer. That is the first glimpse we get into the ordinary ministry of Paul. The second glimpse into his ministry we get is the ministry of partnership. The ministry of partnership. And Paul, he didn't set himself on some sort of a pedestal in the church. At least not here. That's not what we're getting. But he also doesn't place himself as like the punching bag in the church. Like, hey, everything's always my fault, so go ahead, <laughs> just shoot me. Instead, he saw himself as a partner. A partner. He was in the church both to encourage and receive encouragement. Romans 1, verse 11, he says, I want very much to see you. I, I really want to see you. So that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is... To be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. This is such a sweet picture of just the ordinary life of ministry in the church. He says, well, look, we want to be a blessing to one another. We want to help each other. We want to encourage each other, lift each other up. We want to bless and serve one another through the gifts that God has given us. And they are very different. We have a variety of gifts. And whatever God, gift God has given us, we want to use it to bless and encourage one another. We want to be thinking. Here's what we want to think. If you are a member of the church, if you are a believer in Christ, you just want to be thinking about how can I bless and serve those around me? My fellow members, my leaders, my pastors, whoever it might be. I want to be an encouragement to them. And if we all have that mindset... Guess what? We will all be mutually encouraged. Sometimes 
I talk to my kids about things, and I'm like, hey, here's the deal. You need to share. You need to think about others and, and, and share what you have. And then their response is, but they don't share with me. I'm like, no, somebody, somebody's just got to start the party. So, so, someone just has to own the responsibility. I'm here to encourage. I'm here to bless. I'm here to serve. I'm here to love. But then we all need to own that responsibility if the church is really to be healthy. In Romans chapter 12, Paul's going to turn to the church in Rome. He's going to give them some very practical instructions about how to walk in love and in unity. One of the very first things he tells them in his practical instructions, we're going to finally get there in Romans chapter 12, like a year from now. Just trust me. And he says, everybody in the church, you just need to see yourselves humbly as a servant to every other member of the body. Because God has placed us into this body with the diversity of gifts. And we have those gifts to bless and serve one another. So we don't have an entitled attitude in the church or a bitter spirit or an attitude like it's everybody else's job to encourage me. Why aren't you doing that better? But instead, we see it's my job. It is my job to encourage my fellow members. In Christ. It's my job to encourage my community group leader just as much as it's his job to encourage me. It is my job to care for and encourage my pastors just as much as it's their job to encourage me. We are all partners in the ministry. God has designed us for mutual encouragement. And he's given us all kinds of different gifts to do it well. Unique gifts. You know, just to think about ways that we, we can better love and serve our fellow members. Part of the reason that we as pastors pour over the word for hours and hours and hours each week to preach the scriptures each week is that we want to encourage you. We, we want you to be able to come to church and Feast on the word of God and be filled up in the gospel, in the love of God through his word. So we pour over it for hours and hours and hours. Okay, because that is the particular space and gifting and role that God has placed us in to be a blessing, to serve the word so that your soul might be encouraged. But God has given you all unique and different gifts. To also be a blessing and a great encouragement to one another and to all of us in the church. We are partners in the gospel. The ordinary ministry of Paul was a ministry of partnership. Not of unrealistic expectations. Not of one-way expectations, but of partnership bound together in love through faith. It was a ministry of partnership at last Lastly, the ordinary ministry of Paul was a ministry of proclamation. Proclamation. I want to drill into what Paul says here as he wraps up his intro to the Romans. He says in verse 13, Now I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I often planned to come to you, but was prevented until now. In order that I might have a fruitful ministry among you, just as I have had among the rest of the Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks 
and barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. What Paul says is that his ministry was a ministry of proclaiming the gospel. Proclaiming the message of the gospel. It was a ministry of prayer. It was a ministry of partnership. But it was also a ministry of proclaiming how people who are dead in sin. Dead because of their sin. Can actually be saved from God's wrath. Brought into eternal life with God. Through the work of Christ upon the cross. His ministry was full of proclamation. Now, here's the deal. We could spend two months talking about just the last two verses that we just read. Romans 1.16 and 1.17. You could write like an entire Ph.D. dissertation on either of those verses easily. And if you want to drill into the weeds of those two verses, find out more about what they mean precisely. Uh, There is no shortage of good resources to dig into those bad boys through. But what I want us to really think about is this. Go back to verse 15. Paul says to the Romans, So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Here's a question I want us to consider. Why was Paul eager to preach the gospel to the church in Rome? Why was he eager to preach the gospel to the church in Rome? The reason that question matters is that if Paul was eager to preach the gospel because he's the apostolic goat and the greatest evangelist of all time, that's fine. And I can appreciate his greatness. But that doesn't mean a whole lot then for 95% of us who are not apostolically gifted evangelists. But is that really why Paul was eager to preach the gospel in Rome? Now, if all we had is verses 13 and 14, if that was end of thought, end of story, I would say, fine, maybe this is where we finally see Paul, the apostolic goat, flexing his muscles a little bit and saying, hey, check this out. And this really wouldn't be part of the ordinary ministry, but I just want you to look carefully at what he says. Okay, starting in verse 13. He's writing to them. He says, I don't don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters. I'm not trying to hide anything here. I, I am a gifted apostle and evangelist. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I often planned to come to you, but was prevented until now in order that I might have a fruitful ministry among you just as I have had among the rest of the Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. This is Paul saying, look, I I wanted to come to you to have ministry among the Gentiles because I'm obligated to Greeks and barbarians, wise and foolish. He's saying Gentiles. I am obligated 
as an apostle specifically to the Gentiles, and I'm obligated to preach. And I wanted to come to you to preach to the Gentiles that I might have a fruitful ministry among them. But then something different starts to happen in verse 15. He says, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Who, who is he talking to here? Who is the you? The you also. It is the church. The church in Rome, Jew and Gentile alike. And he says, I'm eager to preach to you all as well. Why? Is it because he is the apostle to the Gentiles? Not exactly. Listen to what he says in verse 16. For, because I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Do you see what Paul's doing here? In this moment, there, there are plenty of places where Paul is going to anchor his proclamation of the gospel in his apostolic gifting. But that's not what he's doing right here. What he's doing here is he, he's not anchoring his proclamation of the gospel in his gifting or in his personality. He is anchoring it here in what the gospel is. He says, I'm eager to share this gospel with everyone. Because what the gospel is, is the power of God for salvation. It has the power to save lives for the Jew and the Greek, for every single person on the planet. He says, because the message about Jesus Christ has the power to save lives, I am eager to share it. And I think the reality is this. Yes, we should not be confused about this. Paul was a uniquely apostolically gifted evangelist. So Paul, with that treasure of the gospel, went to public squares and arenas and synagogues and temples and preached to thousands of people. And then he planted churches and raised up pastors. And you and I may not be apostolically gifted evangelists. So we may not go to public arenas and temples and synagogues and squares and preach the message of the gospel to thousands of people and plant churches. But one way or another, because of what the gospel is, when we are full of the gospel, the gospel does make its way out of us in the ministry of ordinary proclamation. And you see, it might be as simple as this. A few weeks ago, I had had a particularly hard, long, discouraging day. You ever have one of those? <laughs> oh, they happen. I laid down with one of my kids just to pray for them, tuck them in. I was talking to them just a little bit about my day. And do you know what started to come out of me? 
the gospel. How was your day, Dad? I, I don't know how to answer that question honestly without talking about Jesus. Without talking about what God has done to heal those hurts, to root me in his grace, to comfort me in his kindness through Christ. And how many people ask you that question? How's your day? How deep do people have to press into you before they bump into the gospel? You see, I think for Paul, he was so full of the gospel. His love tank was so filled up in Christ that it really didn't take much before you just bump into gospel. Is that because he was the apostolic goat and a gifted evangelist? No. See, that's why he preached in synagogues and temples and squares and arenas to thousands of people. That's why he planted churches. But why is it that every time Paul sits down to write a letter to friends, it's like he can't help himself. The gospel just starts to ooze out of him. It's because his tank is full of the love of Jesus. He is full of the gospel. Whenever you get an inch deep into Paul, you find gospel. You find the good news of Jesus. It's what he's being filled with. That is not about gifting. That is not about personality. It's about what the gospel is. It is the power of salvation for everyone who believes in Christ. And when we are filled with the gospel, it will overflow from within us. And if the gospel is not overflowing in your life, I am not here to beat you over the head and tell you, go out to the public arena and go preach the gospel. Is it good to share the gospel? Yes. If you go preach the gospel, is that good? Yes. But you know what the real application is from our passage? So we catch this glimpse just into the ordinary Christian ministry of Paul. The real application is this. You need to be filled in the gospel. Your tank needs to be full of Jesus, filled up in the gospel. The gospel needs to be overflowing in your life and in your heart. We all need that. So we need to come here to church, and we need to be filled in the gospel. We need to be filled in the love of Christ. So as we are here together, and we sing to one another loudly, and we sing to Christ, we need to be filling one another up in the gospel. You need to come and be filled in the gospel. As the word is preached, you need to come and feast on the word of God. Be filled up in the gospel. Be full in Christ. It is the power of salvation for everyone who believes. We are here to feast on the gospel together. We are not here in church to be entertained or to evaluate We are here to feast and be full in the gospel. We need time personally, individually, 
in the word, in prayer, to feast on the gospel. We need to take time day after day to be filled up in Christ, filled up in the gospel. We need to take a day off every once in a while just so we can go and be away with Jesus and be filled up in the gospel. You need to be so full of the gospel that what happens in your heart when you think about people in the church is thankfulness and prayer. You need to be so full of the gospel that what happens in our relationships with one another is that all you can think about is how to mutually encourage one another as a partner in the gospel. And you need to be so full of the gospel, the power of God to save lives from eternal hell, that when somebody asks you, how are you doing? How was your day? What have you been up to lately? It doesn't take much for people to run into the gospel. It doesn't take much before you inevitably find yourself talking about what Jesus has done to heal our wounds, to destroy sin in our lives, to remove it as far as the east is from the west, to give us eternal life with him. You need to be so full of the gospel That it is the gospel shaping your heart, your thoughts, your relationships, and every area of your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you, God, as people who are hungry and thirsty. You say when we come to you to find our food and our drink, we will never thirst again, God, because God, you, you are like an endless buffet. You, you, you have put before us a feast, Lord, and your desire is that we would feast upon you, God. I pray that as a church, we would be filled up in the gospel, that we would be so full of the gospel, the love of Christ, the work of Christ, the worth of Christ. God, that every inch of us, no matter where people press in, God, they would find the good news of Jesus, Lord in our relationships with one another, in our attitudes towards one another, in our hearts towards one another, in our prayers towards one another, God, I pray that it would be shaped deeply by the gospel. Lord, even as we think about our time of communion here in the next couple of minutes, God, may this be an abundant Feast, a spiritual feast, God, where our hearts are knit together as we partake in your body and blood, your work upon the cross. That's what we need to be filled with, God. Fill us up. In Jesus' name, amen.